We are in the middle of a series called Living in Light of the Resurrection. And we looked last week briefly just at the fact that what happens after the resurrection of Jesus is that Jesus, in all four of the Gospels and then in the first chapter of Acts, turns around and tells his followers, look, it's not time to party, it's not time to just hang out, but it's time to go on mission. But before we go on mission, uh, and we talk a lot about mission at Church of the Cross, we, are, uh, we see ourselves as a missional family, as a community of people that's united in Jesus, that's on mission in the city of Boston. And, uh, and so we do talk a lot about mission. But before we just kind of pick it up and say, well, God, tell me what you want me to do, what, what you want me to do for you, uh, we need to confront the realities of what it means that Jesus rose from the dead and of what it means to live in light of this greatest miracle, this greatest uh, inbreaking of the power of God into our world. What does it mean to live in light of that? So that's what we're looking at for the next um, six weeks, five weeks or so from now. Uh, and we're looking at this theme of hope still tonight that we talked about last week, that we've been born again into a living hope, that we have this this living hope that, that produces fruit and life in us that we've been brought into in Christ. Uh, this week, for the first time in four and a half years, I was knocked to the pavement while riding my bike in a city. And uh, so I don't know if God just wanted to kind of communicate something to me about this message of hope, but um, I, I had a car turn right when I was going straight, and it was just too late. I couldn't stop. Um, but I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that where just for a moment at least, you're like, I'm not sure what's going to happen here. Uh, and whether or not we live in light of the reality that, as we talked about last week, that death speaks the final word, so far as we can see, into the world that we live in. And that each one of us is just kind of one right-hand turn from that moment in our own lives. So what is it that we hope in that gives us something to look forward to beyond that apparent moment of finality, which is death in the world that we live in? And we talk about this idea of resurrection, this, this reality that Jesus actually rose from the dead physically and bodily. And it's the nature of this Christian hope that actually shapes something about what it means to be a community on mission. So the question that I want to put before you, last week we looked at the, the, the light of hope really that's coming out of the resurrection. And tonight I want to think about, well, what does it mean to live a, a hope-filled life in mission for Jesus. So how does this nature of Christian hope lead us into a life of mission? That's the question that, that I want you to have before you tonight. And one of the ways that, that this resurrection hope has been sort of uh, changed and maligned in the world today is we turn it into this kind of metaphor. It's a metaphor for human, uh, human optimism or you know, springtime and new life. And it becomes this 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 idea of, of, of a groundless or a foundationless hope that, that we all hold on to as human beings is sort of part of the human spirit, if you will. And if we, if we have that kind of hope, then in reality, that's just a hope that's sort of limited to who we are and what we can do. And uh, one part of the church in the 20th century sort of took that on and, and made a metaphor out of resurrection and turned it into an agenda for social change. And if we do that in our lives, we end up running, uh, running amok, basically, and running out of steam and ending up a little bit disinf uh, disillusioned. If, if it's just us and, and resurrection is just a metaphor for what we can do and what we can bring about and some sort of nameless power out there, uh, then we kind of are the end and we, we, we run out of steam at some point. 
Another way to look at the, the Christian hope of resurrection uh, is, just, is to de-physicalize it, by which I mean all of a sudden what it means to have hope in the Christian life is just to hope for some disembodied existence somewhere someday that uh, isn't connected in any way to this world that we live in. And when we do that, it's a kind of escapism. It's a dualism that the physical world that we know and that we see is bad. It's kind of rotting and going away, but the, the spirit, it's platonic. The spirit is something that's going to persist and, and, and be immortal and go on and on and on, and, and that's good. And so it leads to this Christian escapism, which if any of you have grown up in the church, you've experienced at one level or another. We create our own subcultures. We put up big fences. Uh, we, we, no offense, we move to the suburbs. Um, and, and we start to live a life that's relatively secluded and, and surrounded by the people that we know and that we think are safe. Uh, and we protect our children and we do all these things in a way of escaping from the world that's just going down this path to destruction. And that's not the Christian hope of resurrection. The hope of resurrection is actually something much deeper and much more profound, much, that has a much greater impact upon who we are and the way that we live. It's resurrection... The resurrection of Jesus is the inbreaking of the sovereign rule and reign of God in his world and his creation. It's the inbreaking of that rule and reign and of the ultimate work that God will do, which is new creation. So not disembodied future, but a very physical future, an embodied future in a new heavens and a new earth, what we call new creation, where this book ends at the end of Revelation in a city where God dwells as the light in that city. It's a, a new creation hope, which is a sign of God's redemptive work over his world. So God's not just leaving the world to rot. God's not just leaving the world kind of to be. His creation project isn't going to end in just one big catastrophe. But the resurrection of Jesus shows us that God is actually going to be redeeming and remaking the world that we live in today. And in that world, as it was originally made in Genesis... God set up human beings to be made in his image, a very special place in his created order, to go out and to bear his image in our rule over the created order. And as we go out in that image-bearing role, God is glorified as his people participate in his sovereign rule and extend his sovereign rule over the world today. This is the hope that we have as Christians a hope in resurrection, a hope in new creation. And we look at Jesus' resurrection as the first fruits, the beginning of what is to come one day. But it's not yet here. But it came in Jesus, and it's going to come again. And so this is the nature of our hope, and this affects the way that we actually live and go about our life. So what is a hope-filled church actually doing? What is it looking like? What is this Christian hope actually mean for the life that we lead today. That's what I want to look at. And I want to focus in on 1 Corinthians 15, 58. The last verse of 1 Corinthians 15, which says this. I'll read it again. Therefore, I'll stop there. Therefore, in light of this great news of the, the Christian hope of resurrection, you heard it read, death is swallowed up in victory, O death. Where is your victory, O death? Where is your sting? Paul has just gone on this long chapter defending and explaining the Christian hope of resurrection. That these perishable bodies will be raised imperishable. There will be continuity, but also discontinuity 
between what is and what is to come. Just like with Jesus' own raised body, you could still see the scars. There was continuity, but there was some kind of discontinuity as well. So, therefore, in light of this hope, my beloved brothers and sisters, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It's not exactly what you might expect at the end of a chapter on the hope of resurrection. This this strong exhortation that Paul gives to talk about what the hope-filled life might bring about in our lives. He points out two things, and that's it. We're just going to look at two things. The first thing he points out is that is, is he exhorts, and his exhortations are really a call into the reality of Christian hope. So he's calling them into this reality that he's just been describing for all of these verses in chapter 15. And this first exhortation is be steadfast, immovable. We get this picture of the hope of resurrection, the hope of new creation, as being this rock upon which our lives are established and, and grounded deeply in a context of a world where we're constantly tempted to give up this kind of hope. We're, t- we're tempted to let go of what God, God has given us in the resurrection. We're tempted by, by, by a lot of different things, by, by opposition. Um, the new creation has broken in, but we still live in a world that doesn't yet acknowledge, at least in all of its fullness, the, the, the proper rule and reign of Jesus over it. Over it. And so there is a kind of warfare. The Bible points out these pictures of warfare. And there's an opposition that comes about in the Christian life. And most of you know what I'm talking about at some level. Probably even today, you know that opposition at some level. But the opposition specifically to the, to the hope that we have is, is one is, is the fact that, that you start to think, after all, that the resurrection, this hope in, in the fact that one day you're going to be raised and there's going to be something similar about who you are and something dissimilar and and, and you're looking around and you're seeing people die and you're, and you're seeing loved ones die and you're experiencing the pain and the heartache of the world and you just start to think that resurrection's a little bit crazy. That's one of the ways that, that we're sort of, we're knocked off of this. And, and uh, I don't know that we could exegete the whole situation of Corinth, but that was certainly the case that some of the people in Corinth had begun to disbelieve in the resurrection. That's part of the reason that Paul actually wrote this chapter in this letter. So you start to think, you know, death is too strong. The evidence is overwhelming. And, and this belief in, in some kind of new creation that I'm going to rise again someday, that, that belief is a little too crazy. Another way that this, that this call um, to be immovable and steadfast could be undermined is by the fact that, that life is actually really hard sometimes. As a community, we've experienced that together. Um, in our young life together as a church. We've suffered together and we've seen the, the hardships of life. And many of us here are probably struggling with all kinds of things from relational issues to just, just issues of, of unfulfilled desire and those things. And those things begin to bear down on us. And we start to wonder if God could really be good and if God could really be there. And when that belief begins to shake and the hope in the new future that we have in Christ begins to shake, then we, we've lost this kind of foundation. Another way that it gets shaken is that we have these other hopes um, in the world that may be slightly good, but they begin to distract us from this one hope that we're all longing for ultimately and deeply. 
So maybe the hope of a, of a particular job or the hope of a spouse or the hope of children or the hope of something. All of these things that are, that are quite good that begin to distract us from this one unshakable foundational hope that we proclaim as Christians of the resurrection. Um, and there may be this, this kind of the thinking about being steadfast and immovable. There may be this opposition, just the fact that people don't like me because of what I believe. Now, sometimes that they, they shouldn't like you because of the way you're, 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 you're living and, and treating. <laughs> Don't take that personally, please. Um, but, uh, but as we're walking under the lordship of Jesus and seeking to conform our lives to his image, there's a sense in which that says to the world around us, you know, you're not really left to be your own boss anymore. And at one level, anybody who's following after Jesus is saying, you know, I don't make my decisions anymore. I'm not the one who calls the shots. I'm not the one who, who's in control. I'm, you know, it's not like I'm Batman and God is Robin. You know, it's, it's not like that in my life. And as I, as I live this life under the lordship of Jesus, there are people around us who just won't like that. And I don't mean that's because of our own offensiveness. And that's why I say sometimes they're right to say um, that I don't like you. But I mean that, that simply in the fact that it, it offends deeply the pride of our own heart that wants to be our own master. Um, so in the context of the world in which we live, this call to be steadfast and immovable in light of the hope of resurrection is a much needed call in the church today. And hope is, is looked at as an anchor. We see that in Hebrews 6. This, this image of an anchor, of a ship that's put down its anchor in the storms at sea. So it's being beaten. And some of you might feel like you're being beaten. You know, the waves are hitting on every side. It's kind of being pushed to the right and then to the left and up and down. And there's lots of movement and seasickness and everything else. And you feel like you feel terrible. And yet there's this anchor that's rooted deep down in the rock of the hope of resurrection and the power of God. Hebrews 6.19, because God has promised this life, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain. A sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. This is the nature of hope, that it's this anchor that we hold on to in the midst of the context of a world that's kind of pushing us in every different direction. We hold on to it, we cling to it. Uh, Paul writes in Colossians that we're not shifting from the hope of the gospel that we have heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. This not shifting, but holding firm to this hope. One um, sort of contemporary example of this is a man named Paul. I won't try to pronounce his last, way, last name. He's a Vietnamese martyr in the 19th century. Listen to his testimony shortly before he was martyred. He says, I, Paul, in chains for the name of Christ... The prison here is a true image of everlasting hell. To cruel tortures of every kind, shackles, iron chains, manacles are added hatred, vengeance, calumnies, obscene speech, quarrels, evil acts, swearing, curses, as well as anguish and grief. This is in 1856 or so. As I see all this, I would, in the ardent love I have for you, prefer to be torn limb from limb and to die as a witness to your love. O oh Lord, show your power. Save me, sustain me, that in my infirmity your power may be shown and may be glorified before the nations. 
Beloved brothers, as you hear all these things, may you give endless thanks and joy to God from whom every good proceeds. Bless the Lord with me for his mercy is forever. I write these things to you in order that your faith and mine might be united. In the midst of this storm, I cast my anchor toward the throne of God, the anchor that is the lively hope in my heart. In this context of cruelty and torture and suffering, this anchor that is the lively hope in my heart. This is the anchor that hope is in human life. And this kind of steadfastness and immovability that Paul is exhorting the Corinthians to in resurrection hope also brings with it a kind of confidence and boldness that we see in the witness of the early church. We see it in Stephen, don't we, in Acts chapter 7, where he gives this testimony before the leaders of the Jewish nation. It speaks of Jesus. And not out of a, not out of a brashness and, and a rudeness, but out of a boldness and a, a humility and a meekness, stands to face his death by bearing witness, in courage and boldness. We see it in Paul again and again and again. But especially in Acts 26, when he's standing before King Agrippa, they didn't have like, you know, they didn't have the Bill of Rights back then, so this is kind of risky to start talking boldly in front of a, of, a, of a power of the day. And he begins to say, you know, I wish that you would become like me. And so all those who hear my message, except for these chains. I'm on trial here for the hope that I have in resurrection. I want you to become like me. We see it in, in the story from Polycarp, um, this martyrdom in the, in the second century of the church, when he says, and in, 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 this is um, from an account of, of his martyrdom, he says, and when the proconsul yet again pressed him and said, swear by the fortune of Caesar, he answered, since thou art vainly urgent that as thou sayest, I should swear by the fortune of Caesar and pretendest not to know who and what I am, hear me declare with boldness, I am a Christian. And if you wish to learn what the doctrines of Christianity are, appoint me a day and thou shalt hear them. There is that courage and that boldness that arises out of this living hope in the resurrection, in the face of any circumstance. Now, I, I grant you that I just read some pretty extraordinary circumstances. It might be hard to connect those to 21st century Boston. But in the midst of the mundane of, of modern life, in busyness, in studies, in work, in exams, in relationships, in grocery shopping, in all of those things, this same hope is our call to be immovable and steadfast in this hope. Not beating it over people's heads, but meekly and yet boldly and courageously bearing witness to this hope that we have of resurrection, of new creation. So that's the first thing Paul says, is that a, a hope-filled community, a hope-filled church will be immovable and steadfast, rooted deeply with courage and boldness in this hope of resurrection. But then secondly, that there will be a focus and a single-mindedness to the life of those whose hope is set upon the grace to be revealed to them when Jesus returns, upon this resurrection. And so he says, always abounding in the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. This is a call. This is a call for those of us who hope in Christ, those of us who hope in the resurrection. This is a call to, to recognize that our lives are so intertwined with the God who made the world. 
that our lives are incredibly and absolutely dependent upon the grace and miraculous power of God to raise the dead, that every minute that we live and everything that we do is done in the light of and for the sake of the God that we love and the God who loves us. That's what it's a call for. Always abounding. Always. We're so good at compartmentalizing, aren't we? We're so good at it. We're so good at, at, at putting our, our Christian vocation in this sort of one area related to what I do at Church of the Cross or something else instead of beginning to see it as this always word calls us to, this, this fully engaged, no switch on and off, but always abounding in the work of the Lord. Now, what is the work of the Lord? Um, does that mean that you're always supposed to be uh, passing out a tract wherever you go and, and speaking about the, the, the news of the gospel? And, and um, I mean, if the Spirit says so, yes. But I, but I think there's room here for, for a lot more to be understood in what Paul means when he says always abounding in the work of the Lord. To go back to resurrection, new creation. The new creation has broken in. The new creation is the place where the sovereign reign and rule of God is, is made known and is working in the world. And the people of God whose hope is set in Christ are now being restored. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you are a new creation. We looked last week at being born again. You've been made new. And now as one who's been made new in Christ by the Spirit, your vocation as an artist, as a a person in business, as a student, uh, as a teacher, your vocation is now to be used for the sake of spreading and bearing witness to God's rule and reign in and through your life. In other words, everything that we do here in this world, whatever it might be, will in some way be redeemed and made part of the new work that God is bringing about so that your labor in the Lord is not actually in vain. It's not just going to burn up one day, but in some mysterious way, when you love an elderly person, when you spend time um, with someone who's disadvantaged, when you... Uh, create a beautiful piece of artwork on a blank canvas that, that images in some way the world broken and the world as it will one day be and speaks into that world of beauty. When you advocate for somebody who's being, who's being systemically excluded from the privileges of the day, when you're engaged in these kinds of kingdom acts of justice and mercy and creativity and business and enterprise for the sake of well-being of people around you, when you're doing these things underneath the lordship of Jesus they will somehow last in the world to come. They're not just little vain exercises. So this isn't just a call to get really specific and go out and evangelize everybody, though it can include that. It's a call to see the whole of your life now as a part of of imaging to the world the new creation that is coming to be in Jesus. In whatever vocation and place that God has called you and using all that you have at your disposal to bear witness to the Lordship and the reign of Jesus in the world. And everything that you do to that end will not be burned up, but will be redeemed in some, I can't say how it will happen, but in some way. And that's what Paul is getting at. So because your lives are so tied up in the resurrection, in this future that is coming, right now in this world, Stop living for yourself. Stop living for petty hopes. Stop living for the things that distract you. And start living for Jesus. 
Start living in light of this hope that comes out of the resurrection. And give yourself to it fully because you have absolutely nothing to lose. You have nothing to lose by holding on to your life and living it for the sake of some other lesser hope. You have nothing to lose by compartmentalizing your spirituality and making certain things holy and certain things secular. You have nothing to lose by simply just giving yourself fully to this work of the Lord. In whatever area that God has gifted you and given you passion and enthusiasm and heart, your life, if you proclaim Christ crucified, Christ will come again with us later tonight. If you proclaim that, your life is completely dependent upon the grace of God to miraculously raise you from the dead one day. And in light of that, Paul says, give yourself fully. Hold nothing back. So a hope-filled community, a hope-filled community will have a kind of steadfastness to it. It will have a kind of rootedness to it, despite whatever winds are blowing and pushing us and pressing in on us and perplexing us. It will have this rootedness deep down in the hope of God's ability to raise the dead and to make all things new. That will stand firm against all kinds of opposition together. This isn't an individual thing. This is together. And it will have a single-mindedness. That doesn't mean a single occupation, but a single-mindedness about a ton, a myriad of occupations that are underneath the rule and reign of Jesus going into the world. A church that lacks this hope is a church that's blown to and fro by every little thing that the world throws at it. And a church that lacks this kind of hope is a church that lacks a kind of focus, a continuity with the work that God is doing in the world. So a hope-filled life for us is a life of this kind of immovability and a life of this kind of focus by the power and the strength of God. Amen.